All right, <clears throat> excuse me. There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Yeah, so the gate agent said to me, Sir, even Tom Selleck can't get that ticket. And so what did you say in response? Oh, I... Oh, you know what? I t- I'll tell you later. We got a show to do. Um, oh, I, I, what I, show are we doing tonight? We're doing Pie Factory podcast tonight. Oh, so all about pancakes is uh, what we're doing that on Friday. That I thought we weren't doing until next Wednesday. Yeah, but by the way, what's the status of this week in potatoes? We haven't recorded that in a while. Well, it's because we don't know the status, duh. Yeah, that's a good point. You were going to say something? Oh uh, no, I was just going to say who we are because. Uh, I'm introducing you first. Uh, you are well, that's true. Jimmy G. Are you over at uh, Pie Factory Logistics Center tonight? Yes, I am. And yeah. are you Shawnee C. at Pie Factory Headquarters North? I could be, I suppose. I am definitely a Pie Factory Headquarters North. Uh-huh. But are you Shawnee C.? I could be. Or are you Lisa C.? No, Lisa C.'s somebody else. That's our booth announcer. Or Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam. Are you her? You know, if I were, I'd... Probably be a lot richer right now. Point taken. And before we go on any further, um, I would like to point out that we, our show has a new sponsor. Oh, do tell. Yes. Uh, this episode of Pie Factory Podcast is brought to you by Krabby Dick's Delaware Marketplace and Grill. Yes, if you're going to visit Ferg, be sure to stop in at Krabby Dick's Delaware Marketplace and Grill. What I love is when you cross into Delaware... The sign says Delaware, the first state. And the implication is, yeah, because we had to try again. You know, the uh, the funny thing was when me and my wife were on our honeymoon, we went to Washington, D.C., and the last day before we had to get back, we decided these states are so small, let's see how many of these we can knock out before we have to get our plane. And so we got in a rental car, and um, you know, we, went, we were already in Maryland. That's where our hotel was. We drove into Delaware. Kid you not, <laughs> the, the welcome sign to Delaware read, Welcome to Delaware, home of tax-free shopping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's still there. And um, the uh, we we like, nah, there's, there's got to be a catch somewhere. We went to Wendy's in Delaware. We each got a Frosty, and it was uh, 99 cents. Damned if they didn't charge us $1.98 for the two of them. So that's weird, coming from a state where everything is taxed. So, little explanation, um... Regular listeners may have noticed that we were uh, very, very late with episode 26. Also, uh, listeners who haven't eaten any bran are aware of We're not using that yet again. Yes, we're doing that joke again. No, no, we're not. No, no. No, we don't repeat things on Pie Factory Podcast. We do not repeat repeat things things. on Pie Factory Podcast. So you probably remember, uh, Jimmy G, I think you were the one who had to deliver the news that Hyde was on vacation. Yeah. We were left to our own devices. I think he was in uh, Louisiana visiting college friends or something, and he wasn't going to be able to do the show. So when Hyde is unable to, to do his duties, one of us has to take over. You did the last one. You were at least, I don't think you actually did it, but you arranged for somebody else to do it. So this time it was my turn. Mm-hmm. So and I was at my lunch break over at the, uh, the Merchandise Mart in downtown Chicago with my brand new MacBook Pro, brand spanking new. And for the first time in my life... I um, kind of made Liquid make contact with a powered-on electrical device. And, you whizzed uh, on the laptop? No, the Coca-Cola bottle did. Oh. 
and um, I suddenly I no longer had a functioning laptop. So, yeah, brand spanking new. And well, be nope. fair. I mean, even a non-functioning Mac laptop functions better than a Windows one. That is very true. That is true. But uh, we're but let, let's not get off on that tangent right now. <laughs> so, and the killer thing is, I was almost done. I had like fifteen minutes left to audition and get everything all set and sequence and everything, and then that crap happened. So yeah, the show was delayed by about a week, but uh, after that spillage incident happened, Hyde was back from vacation, so he was able to pick up and basically do what he usually does. So thanks, Hyde, and we apologize that we're going to have to um, send yet another show your way pretty much right after you finish with uh, the previous one. My saving grace is that I have Square Trade, so, yeah, yeah. and I, this is the first time I ever had to use it. And here's a rant coming up. I have to let this out. I reported it to Square Trade. They said, okay, no problem. We're going to send you out a ship. Uh, we're going to send you out a box. Just put your laptop in there, ship it to us, and uh, we'll take care of it. You should have the box within two business days. This was Tuesday when they told me. Last week, Tuesday. A week ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that would have been... The ninth. That would have been the eighth. That would have been the eighth. Yeah, they actually shipped the box the next day, which is which is fine. No problem. No problem. Mm-hmm. And so they said two business days. I got the box yesterday. Wow. Yesterday. So it's not a rant about them. It's a rant about the post office. It's a rant about the post office because it was sent two day priority. Two day priority. I don't know about you, but seven usually isn't two. Unless you live in Brendan Sullivan's universe. So, you know, I, I got the box and, you know, it was prepaid, prepaid and everything. And I see that uh, the repair place already got the laptop. So at least, hey, that they, they got it today. So this well, morning. So at least I know something's happening. And the other thing, and this leads me to another part of this rant. Mm-hmm. Well, some time ago, I ordered a controller from Ed Ladin. And I was really excited because here I am going to get my first Ed Ladin controller. I already have the uh, uh, Seagull 78 adapter. Which is a fine, fine piece of uh, hardware, by the way. Yeah, I mentioned before that I use it on the Sega Sports Pad, and it works Mm -hmm. beautifully for Centipede and the 7800. But uh, I order it. You know, it takes a while to build because, you know, these are custom made. And I get a shipping notification from UPS. Uh And it's like, Yay! And I get two more shipping notifications from UPS that my uh, part-time job employer is sending me some paperwork for the class I'm about to teach, like student roster and everything. So like with everything else that UPS sends to my apartment, the roster and everything, I wasn't home to collect it. So what they did was they brought it over to the laundromat across the street, which acts as a UPS drop-off location. Okay. And so it's like, great. The Ed Ladin thing was delivered today to my apartment in the morning. Ah, uh, okay. The tracking notice notification says, Department of Redundancy Department. Left at front door. It was not there when I got home. Nobody in the building has seen it. You have a thief. So, I have a thief. Now, why is it that UPS refuses to deliver a f***ing piece of paper if I'm not home? But yet, here's what I'm assuming is a big cardboard box. Yeah, I could have had it sent to work. But the thing is, if I'm going to work, I'm taking either public transit or my bike. I do not have a car accessible to me during the day. 
Right. Nights and weekends, I do. My wife and I have one vehicle. She needs it for her job. Mm-hmm. Plus, I don't want to park downtown Chicago. I don't make enough money <laughs> to for To anybody that. listening to this podcast, trust us. You do not want to park in downtown Chicago. No, Even if you're, vi- you're touristing, do not park in downtown Chicago. Yeah, unless you have like a guaranteed hotel space or something, you are an effing moron if you drive into downtown Chicago. My advice, yeah. go into uh, one, of the, one of the residential areas of Chicago and take the L or something if you have to go downtown. Whenever we go downtown, we take the Metra in. It's like a dollar to park and five dollars round, at least when we went, it was five dollars round trip per person. And uh, you, you'll still spend less than the parking in the city. Yeah. Anyway. And, you know, it's I know it's that these controllers are huge. So, you know, I'm not going to bother, like, trying to deal with it on public transit or try to figure out a way to get it home on my bike. So I had it sent to my apartment, knowing that every other time UPS has delivered something or try to deliver something and nobody's here to collect it, they bring it over across the street to the laundromat that doubles as a UPS drop-off point. Why did they not do it this time? I'm certainly hoping hoping this story has a happy ending. So yeah, I'm kind of pissed off right now. Hey, sorry for the sudden interruption, everybody, but um, just a last-minute addendum to this story. Jim said that he hoped the story would end happily. Well, the very next day, the package was waiting in the foyer of our apartment building. So all is good, and in fact, I made an unboxing video, and I will add that to the show notes. Last week sucked big time. Oh, but there was one there was one redeeming thing that happened to me last week. And I yes. gotta tell you, this says I know this is way off topic, but you know what? It's my own damn podcast. It's your own damn podcast. We can do whatever we want. I saw the group that is currently known as The Who in concert. Okay. Baba O'Reilly in concert was one of the most amazing things. One of the most amazing things I've ever experienced in my life. Definitely in the top ten. Sadly, I am, well, maybe not sadly, because I actually like them, but I'm going to the first concert I've been to in 25 years. Yay. <laughs> I've only seen two non-Christian concerts. You know what? And I haven't, I wasn't counting those. I couldn't even tell you what the last one of those was, but um, I've only seen two non-Christian concerts in my life. Weird Al Yankovic and uh, King's X. I've never seen King's X. Oh, I want to see them. Cheap Trick. Cheap tr- Oh, I didn't know you saw Chicago Cheap Trick. At Chicago Fest, yeah. At oh, 81. Okay. I couldn't really care, though, because, well, I was 13. And the opening band was a horrible Australian band called Cold Chisel. I've heard that they're actually pretty good, and they've got quite the following in Australia, but the crowd that was there at Chicago Fest wanted to see Cheap Trick. Uh, don't bother looking uh, looking to come to Chicago Fest, because, uh, yeah, that was a short-lived festival. But um, coming to the, what is it, the Twitter... Tweeter, Amphitheater, or whatever they call it now. They changed the name of that damn thing so many times. I'm just call it what it was when it was built. The World Amphitheater. Actually, it was World something Music else before Center. that. It was the World Music Center. World Music Center, but I think it was something before that. The, it was the New World Music Theater. I think it was basically the replacement for Poplar Creek up in Hoffman Estates. but you know. Which I think is a business park now up there. Yes. But at any rate, we're going to be going to see Hall & Oates. I'm sorry? I'm not. I like Hall & Oates. I'm sorry? It, and, uh, and I'm not, because I like Hall & Oates. I'm sorry. We could, I could do this all day. <laughs> I know you could. A while back, I was looking, uh, I was I was buying music on Amazon. This is a couple of years ago, and I'm like, oh, Huey Lewis and the News, Greatest Hits. I'm like, wow, I, all, I know all these songs. They played them on the radio. And I bought the Greatest Hits uh, collection, you know, uh, from Amazon. And um, out of all the songs that they've recorded, there are only like two that I like. 
out of all their hits. Do you believe in love and Jacob's Ladder? And Jacob's Ladder wasn't even written by them. I think it was written by uh, Neil Young. I'd have to look that up, but it wasn't written by them, but it was written by a famous musician that they're friends with. So, so, so yeah, anyway, uh, fun. I, I had to get that all out, you know, because I'm just beyond pissed. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's up with you? Uh, should we talk about, uh, say, games we've been playing and things? Well, let's, you know what? I've still been playing my uh, Sega Master System, um, but uh, I've been... I've been playing the hell out of some puzzle games. Uh, I had to get... Back in October, my uh, cell phone, I dropped it, you know, on our driveway. You know, we got a paved driveway. Not everybody in rural Illinois has gravel driveways. Just most of us do. And um, it shattered the screen. So I was, uh, you know, just carting it around for a while. And then just recently I decided I was going to replace it, get just, just get myself a cheap phone to replace it with. And that screen was going all wonky. When I would try to put it in my sleeve that I got for my bicycle, and it's got like an attachment you could put it like on the handlebars, it would uh, the screen would go all wonky. So um, I got a replacement of that one, and I was just loading up some games that I played in the past. But uh, it's a game called Honeycomb Hotel. Um, it's available for the PC and Android, and I'm not sure if it's on the iPhone. Uh, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, it's by a company called Everett Kaser Software, K-A-S-E-R. Uh, the guy that does, does this actually had a PC game in the early 90s, maybe late 80s as well, called Sherlock. No <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> um, but, and you basically just got a bunch of clues and you got to figure out where things go. And um, been playing the hell out of this one. It's a, it's a fun game. I um, purchased a uh, the Sega Genesis uh, arcade stick. And I've been using that on my uh, Sega Master System. And wow, what a controller that is. That is probably one of the best joysticks I've uh, used on a game system in my life. I was going to say one of the best joysticks I've ever played with, but uh, that was something we should have done in episode 25. And I am just waiting to take that and uh, use it on the 7800. I am betting that thing will be awesome on that thing for like Xevious and that sort of thing. It's, it's just the typical... Typical arcade-style joystick with three really uh, nice buttons on it, and each of the buttons have an independent rapid-fire toggle switch on each of them. And then it's got a slide at the top, which uh, you can control the rate of the rapid-fire. It's uh, helped my scores on uh, Fantasy Zone on the Sega Master System, which is always always welcome. Um, So I've been playing that, and I don't know if this is still free in the Steam store, but uh, they had a bundle which had three Sega games. Uh, One was called Hell Yeah. Another one was called Jet Set Radio. And both of those are fine games if you're into them. I'm having a hard time getting into Jet Set Radio, but Hell Yeah is an interesting platform where you play a a zombified rabbit in hell. (laughs) But uh, the other game that was included in this, and these were totally free. This package of three games was totally free on Steam. Don't know if it still is. It might be. Uh, but it was also had the emulated arcade game Golden Axe. So if you're into that Ooh. sort of thing, you might want to check it out. As for me, um, I'm still getting acquainted with my uh, Retro Duo Portable, um, which those of you who either didn't hear the last episode or don't know what that is, that is a handheld Super Nintendo, uh, for, what, for all practical purposes, a hardware emulator. And it comes with an NES cartridge adapter, so you can plug NES cartridges into it. And uh, so what I've been doing lately, since I already had an NES EverDrive, I've been playing NES games off of it, like mainly Legend of Zelda, and I can't quite figure that one out yet. 
and I finally got the super ever drive for the sneeze and I loaded up just a couple of test games on that really quickly, specifically, uh, Mr. Do. <laughs> and after hearing, uh, soul blazers, Ms. Pac-Man episode from uh, super NES podcast, I really wanted to try that one. There are some pretty harsh reviews of this thing on Amazon that I personally think are kind of unfounded. I love this thing so far. It works really well, but a lot of people are complaining about, uh, the controls. They're like, oh, the controls don't work very well. And I'm finding that it's basically a game by game basis. I think it's just the game itself, not the actual controller. Like for example, like uh, Donkey Kong on the NES, perfect. The controllers mm-hmm. are perfect. Uh, Legend of Zelda, almost perfect, almost perfect. Mr. Do, suck, the uh, the sneeze version at least. Ms. Pac-Man, fine, but could be better. So it's it depends on the game you play. And also there are complaints about how the cartridge slot is kind of insecure. They're like, oh, my games keep falling out and I keep losing. I have not had that. I actually, I'll tell you how much I have not even had that happen remotely. Even with the NES adapter with an NES EverDrive inside of it. I posted a picture of this, by the way, of uh, what that thing looks like. So you can see there's, it's got a lot of stuff sticking out of it at that point. I actually turned the thing upside down in mid-game, and everything still was in place. Nothing moved. Game wasn't interrupted. It was fine. So I don't know where these people are g- coming off with all this, but... But so far, I'm I'm really liking it. I'm really I really enjoy it. I, I would I would love to get something like that. Uh, I I was uh, before we were recording tonight. Uh, Scott Lambert was uh, asking on your picture that you posted to the Underground Retrocade Facebook page. If it was actually to our Facebook it, page. Oh, was it? Oh, I thought it was on his page. But anyway, he did respond to it, and uh, and he was asking, I wish somebody would make this for the 2600. Well, somebody technically did, but he only built it for himself, and it is Ben Heck. Who made? A, I think he made a couple of portable twenty six hundreds. I know he made a portable PlayStation and uh, a couple of other devices. Um, we need to find a picture of the uh, of the one uh, portable twenty six hundred he did because that thing that was a sweet little unit. I saw one yeah. on eBay yesterday, actually. You know, they were, the asking price was like seven hundred bucks. Yeah, someone needs to mass produce those. Yeah, as I said in the in all of the kerfuffle about the legal chameleon, I would pay for a multi console console. Uh, pizza, pizza, with uh, that had uh, support for the 2600, the ColecoVision, and the Intellivision. And I would definitely shell cash out for that. Better yet, 7800 Intellivision, ColecoVision, because that way you could play 7800 and 2600 games. But you wouldn't be able to play Pitfall 2 or Robot Tank. I beg to differ. I They work fine on mine. Well, you know what? They work fine on mine. It's just some of the middle 7800s, um, some of the 7800s from the middle run right. that those games don't work on. I actually have a first run 7800, if you can believe that, with the expansion port and everything. And um, it's a shame they never used that expansion port. That would have been interesting to see what they... You know what? And it occurs to me, there's been a lot of discussion over the uh, the expansion port on the 7800 over the years. And apparently, it only produces the signals that would go out to a, a video input-output device. And uh, speculation is that Atari was planning a Laserdisc add-on for the 7800 that that would use. Now, we do know that Atari was planning on a keyboard and other peripherals to be hooked up to the uh, 7800, and you would think that something like that would hook up through the expansion port, but that was actually just going to go through the DB9 ports uh, where you plug the, uh, the pain line controllers in. I don't know, so... That's uh, that's interesting, but 
Something most a lot of people don't talk about is the fact that the 5200 has an expansion port, and nobody's really sure what they were going to do with that. I remember but, at Midwest Gaming Classic in 2006, I saw somebody walking around with a portable 2600. I remember it was pink. Really? I think he hacked it himself, but uh, it looked really, really sweet, though. Oh, nice. Hey, that would be nice. Oh, speaking of Midwest Gaming Classic, did you know mm-hmm. that um, there's a certain podcast who's going to be uh, hanging out over at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic on Saturday? Was it April 9th, is it? We are going to be with uh, the Underground Retrocade crew. So, yeah, I can't wait. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, that's going to be fun. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll be there April 9th. So, uh if you want to meet us or whatever else have you, you can come on down to Midwest Gaming Classic in Brookfield, Wisconsin, Saturday, April 9th, and uh, you'll find us at the Underground Retrocade table slash booth. Now, if you're in a town named Brookfield and there's a zoo there, you're in Illinois. In which case, you should also go to Galloping Ghost while you're there. That is true. But if you see a zoo, you're in Illinois. If you don't see a zoo, you're in Wisconsin. So there you are. And... I think what I'm going to do is, uh, I've mentioned on the show how you've got me for Christmas uh, a couple of novelty sodas, uh, hot buttered corn, which, and uh, you got me a uh, ranch flavored soda, which I still am scared to open, which is still sitting here. And my wife recently found out that uh, the candy store here in Morris actually sells these sodas now. Oh, really? And uh, she picked me up a buffalo chicken wing flavor oh, soda. <laughs> and I'm thinking that one might actually be pretty good and might actually be good as a, in a mixed drink or something. But um, The Froku joint by uh, in my neighborhood has that uh-huh. stuff. Froku, by the way, being an abbreviation for frozen custard. I'm thinking about uh, bringing both of these to uh, Midwest Gaming Classic and uh, maybe chugging them down. Oh, you going to do it live so, or you, or memorize? I would. Well, I've I've always wanted to chug these down live, so that everybody can see me throw up. I've as I've said before, I've read reviews of the ranch soda, and they're not pretty. <laughs> and I have a feeling that uh, once I'm done drinking them, it won't be pretty either. One thing I want to mention is I've been uh, going and listening to back episodes of different podcasts, and I happened upon I think it was it was either episode forty or forty one of Ten Pence which is from July of last year, where they, uh, I believe the first time they mentioned us, and they said that we were too (laughs) cheesy, they they loved the show, and we sounded like two cheesy American DJs. So, uh, hey. (laughs) So, uh, the the funny thing is that uh, me and you both worked in radio. (laughs) Yeah, I was a radio jock for a while. Yeah, and I, I was, I think I was only on air twice in my radio career. I was mostly behind the scenes, running the board and that sort of thing. And uh, the guy who, as we've mentioned before, who runs the Tuiville Network, where we air, uh, Steve Tui was one of my bosses at one time. And um, so, so yeah, we were both, uh, both in radio. So that explains the cheesy radio DJ thing. Yeah, I which, think that that station hired me right when he was on his way out of that station. And he came back he several came back. years later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, by, yes. and by the way, I just want to extend my uh, a lot of thanks to Steve Tui. He's been really good to us uh, and yes. folks over at Tuiville. You know, we, yes. we Which don't I mention still need them to, enough. We're still trying to uh, trying to get a, a, a promo out of them so we could run it during the show because we don't mention them as often as we should. Uh, yeah. They have been really good to us. And 
And it doesn't hurt that uh, Steve was my boss at one time. So yeah, and uh, we should also thank a couple of more people. Um, oh. Of course, we have our uh, usual sponsors, or, or I, sh- I should say, usual as in like this is not the first uh, we're mentioning them. Scott, Rory, and Andy, thank you guys for uh, mm-hmm. sponsoring us through Patreon. We now have two additional sponsors since our last episode. Yay! And who are they? Big shout out and thank you to Keith and Richard. Not to be uh, uh, not confused, to be confused with, with Keith with Richards. Keith Richards, who if he wants to pledge to the show, I mean, we won't. Rejected. For God's sakes, he's rich enough. Why isn't that cheap bastard? I don't know. Well, Come do on. you really want to upset him? It is Keith Richards. Isn't it upsetting him not to contribute to our yeah, cheesy well, little podcast? Well, there, there is that. I still find it ironic that he, after all of the drugs and crap that he's done, that he's alive and people like Whitney Houston are not. <laughs> Yeah, because she didn't do any drugs or anything. Oh, no, of course not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. my wife says that uh, Keith Richards is in the same, uh, basically in the same club that David Crosby and Brian Wilson and um, who else? I don't know. I always thought that Charles Schulz uh, of the Peanuts comic strip was uh, was eternal until he finally died. It yeah. seemed like he was just going to go on and on and on forever. Let's thank our patrons by being morbid. <laughs> thank you, morbid huh. patrons. Morbid patrons. Ooh, that should be our. We should have a special Patreon, a patron oh, yeah. club, the Morbid Patrons. Oh so. yeah. But uh, perhaps we should talk about Adenda and Arata. Yes, Adenda and Arata. Dost thou haveth any? Oh yeah, big time. Remember uh, how we were talking big about time. last episode? Uh, how the Coleco Chameleon was found out to be possibly, possibly a fraud. We have a little update about that, don't we? Uh, yeah, we do, actually. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't heard about this lately, then welcome to planet Earth. Mike Kennedy has resigned from the project. <gasps> no. Yeah. And he also resigned from that, uh, the re- what's the name of the Retro magazine? Retro Magazine. Yeah. Retro Magazine. And Coleco pulled their support for the chameleon, which I don't think at the time we recorded, I think it like happened to let like the day after we recorded that they pulled the name off of it or they, they severed all ties. Coleco or what passes for Coleco these days, severed all ties with Mike Kennedy at that point. And, um, he's been, uh, he's been kind of lurking in the Atari age forums ever since then. And, uh, yeah, How do we know, well, because everybody knows, uh, his name on Atari age. Oh, and he's, oh, and, the, and, and you can see anonymous. it in the bottom that, uh, oh. he's been that particular user has been, I'm, I'm not going to give out his name, but, uh, if you go to the, uh, Coleco chameleon hardware speculation thread in the, uh, modern gaming forum on Atari age, it'll be kind of easy to uh, figure out what user is, uh, Mike. Yeah. So last Mike I should, I ha- I couldn't read that whole thread, but last I checked, it was well over 300 pages. Yeah, and the funny thing was, when we recorded the show, we said that the thread will probably be 280 pages by the by the time the show. Well, we comes said it out. was going to be 200 pages by the time the show was out. That was before we knew that I was going to ruin my laptop. And uh, but let's and just put it this way: if the show would have come out on time, we would have been wrong. Oh, would we? We would have, have been, been understated. Wrong? <laughs> yeah, that was that <laughs> understatement of the year award goes to that. So yeah, and truth, and and I remember you were talking about how you know we don't need a cartridge based system. I personally don't mind cartridge based systems because hey, oh, you no, know, no, I'm not you saying know I don't either. You know, but, but if you're going to do it, do it right. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Or or at least make it so, so you can just load it up on an SD card, you know, like you can with the EverDrives and the uh, the Harmony cart and the 2600, and hopefully very soon the Concerto cart and the 7800. Yeah, I am waiting for that one, but Man. by the time they make an announcement, I probably won't have the cash for it. So Yeah, right. And I remember thinking, okay, now we're spending a lot of time talking about this chameleon. Then I heard Super Podcast Brothers. <laughs> oh God! Oh man! Listen to the they most went on for like episode. nine hours on that thing. <laughs> Listen to the most recent episode of Super Podcast Brothers. Re- well, if you don't count oh, the bonus episode they just released, yeah, that's. Oh, I forgot about the bonus episode. But the second, the, the second most recent episode, which I can't remember what the the episode number was, but they have an. Oh God! <laughs> the uh, just trust me on this one. They totally skewered. Uh, the Coleco Chameleon. And also, um, there was a video I watched, um, and it was um, uh, somebody posted it on my Facebook page, and of course it was in the thread on Atari Age, the Coleco Chameleon unboxing. Did you watch that one? I didn't watch any of the videos yet. Oh, God, you have got to see this one. I I, I was going to say I crept myself laughing, but I I really didn't. But uh, I very well could have had I eaten White Castle's. Oh gosh, that was one. That and uh, what the Super Podcast Brothers did was just the funniest damn things I have heard and seen in a long freaking time. I never followed the progress on the Coleco Chameleon or the Retro VGS. I was like, yeah, whatever. But listening to Super Podcast Brothers, because Andy pretty much told the entire story from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, they they told the whole story and, and if you really want the lowdown on it check that episode out we'll have a link to the uh the episode in the show notes it was the most comprehensive timeline i'd ever seen about the whole retro vgs uh, chameleon debacle yeah i think by the time i got to work i had to spit out a mouthful of mosquitoes and things because my jaw was just hanging wide open the entire time yeah, I, I did not realize everything that went on and he spelled it all out and he was an original uh, supporter of it. He was a, a supporter of Retro VGS when it was first announced. But, you know, things happen. And um, it seems like there was something I was going to say, but apparently not. So uh, do we have any more addenda and errata? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And I want to say thank you to RJ for uh, correcting you. For correcting me? Yes. Why, how did he correct me? By pointing out that Lizzie the Lizard is not the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, you know what? I didn't. I really didn't know because I'm not. I didn't really know what the creature from the Black Lagoon looks like. So. Here's here's my thing on that. It more than likely is based on Godzilla. Yeah, but it doesn't look as much like a Godzilla to me as it does look like the creature from the Black Lagoon. But uh, I I am willing to uh, let him have that one because he's probably correct. You know, I'm sure I'm a he's big correct. guy. I'm a big guy. You know, and I yeah. can. I, I will admit when I'm wrong. It happens rarely, but I will admit when I'm wrong. In case anybody didn't know, we also talked to Brian Colon not too long ago. Yeah. Did so. we talk to Brian Colon not too long I, ago? I think we talked think to we Brian Colon recently. Hey, Brian Colon, did we, we talk to you? I don't know. I was actually hoping he would uh, would have found some stuff wrong in our podcast and have responded to us, so maybe we got it perfect. He did say both to us and uh, Carrington and Mike that uh, Game Refuge actually has a social media team that scopes out things like that. So oh. that's how he found out about No Quarter, actually. Really? Oh, interesting. I don't remember him saying When this. they pretty much insulted him, and he's like, hey, I want equal times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, while we're still on the topic of uh, episode 26 games, we talked about Rampage and Xenophobe. I had mentioned before, I, when I was talking about the high scores on Xenophobe, 
how Twin Galaxies was acting kind of wonky, and I couldn't really guarantee that what I was saying was accurate. Sure enough, it wasn't totally accurate. Actually, today, Twin Galaxies was acting up, too. It was giving me the mobile site, even though I was on a desktop browser. And I didn't even know they had a mobile site, because whenever I load it up on my phone, it's a full desktop site. (laughs) But just out of curiosity, I checked when the site was working perfectly. And sure enough, what I was curious about was why for the three-player mode, they only listed two players. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was, I, off the top of my head, I think it was Brian Koo and uh, uh, Todd Rogers. That was actually supposed to be for two players. Ah, okay. They have a track for three players listed, but no actual scores listed there. Hmm. Oh, Maybe we'll have to take care of that. You know what? I'm going to Underground Retrocade on Saturday. I think what I'm going to do is pull two more players and see if we can get a uh, uh, Twin Galaxies world record going. <laughs> There you go. That shouldn't be hard to do. It'll probably fall pretty quick, but that shouldn't be hard. Oh, and speaking of which, what happened with your Turbo Junior pack score with uh, with Twin Galaxies? Anything yet? Um, I'm checking right now, actually. I doubt anything has happened yet. Uh, I'm sure it, they would it, have informed you. It, it takes, yeah, nothing's happened yet. It takes a while. For, uh, from what I understand, it takes two to three weeks before anything okay. actually happens. And, so uh, soon. Soon, I'll, I'll know for sure. I don't think anybody's downvoted it. There were mm-hmm. some people who didn't want to vote it up because all I had was the actual gameplay. I didn't have right, any... but you you didn't. They didn't see the uh, the dip switches or anything. It, exactly, exactly. A couple of people vouched for me, like Pete Hahn from Galloping Ghost. He's like, "Yeah, trust me, this is real." <laughs> so, hey, with uh, with Pete on your uh, on your side, he's a good guy. He's a square he guy, is. and uh, you know, so yeah. And that's another thing I just want to say. I mean, I've you know talked about Underground Retrocade a lot on this show. The folks at Galloping Ghost, they've been really good to us as well. They really have been. Yeah, they've been really good to us. And, you know, for all we go to those two places, there are so many more arcades in the Chicago area. I, I posted I a link to our page a while back for a place called Tokens and Tankards. Yeah. Which they... I, don't rem- no, I don't remember where that is, but uh, because Brian Colon was there. And uh, then there's a place in DeKalb, uh, what was it? Star, Star Worlds. Star Worlds, which I found I found where that was. It's in an old, uh, like, kind of industrial-type building, which makes me curious as to how big it is. Uh, Star Worlds is a to- isn't a, an all-you-can-play thing. But uh, they, uh, they they got the, you know, a dollar for four tokens, and then it's... But they got a special deal for five bucks worth of tokens, which, you know, not a bad thing. But uh, so I want to pop in there because I have reasons to go out to decal illinois because my sister and soon-to-be brother-in-law both live out there and i'm going to be out there in june by the way doing a charity bicycle ride out there uh, if you want to donate to that it's a uh, bike ms tour de farms and i've already met the minimum goal of uh, 300 raised for that ride but uh, if you want to donate um, i'm always willing to have more i would like to donate a total of 1500 before it's all over if, if it stays where I'm at now, I'm fine with that, but uh, we'll uh, we'll put a link in the show notes as yes. well, because uh, uh, I, I don't personally know anybody that's had MS, but I rode this, let me think, 15, 14, in 2013 for the first time at the behest of a friend. Uh, I took uh, 2014 off. 2015, uh, I actually volunteered, and uh, I'm going to, I had so much fun volunteering this year that uh, I just signed up on the spot to ride. For people that signed up for the ride at the previous ride, they waived the registration fee, but you still had to raise a minimum of 300 bucks. But uh, but it, it's a good time. It's for a good cause. And uh, I'm trying to train when the weather cooperates, But uh, which has been kind of... The weather's been weird it's lately. It's been really weird. 
Yeah, we normally record this on Tuesday night, but they're talking some severe storms last night. Today is Wednesday the 16th, so we postponed recording uh, because the storms were coming this way. And um, the the storms yesterday produced tornadoes and hail and stuff out to the west of us, about uh, 50 miles or so. But as soon as they hit 20 miles from where I live, all of the severe... You know the the hell and the and the tornadoes and stuff that all stopped, but it still seemed like it downpoured. But we only got a fifth of an inch of rain out of this thing. It sounded like it was raining hard for like about two hours out here. But come to find out, that's the wind, which was gusting up to sixty today. Anyway, yeah. So it's been hard to get out on my bicycle, especially since I'd ride it to work, but I don't want to ride thirty-five miles one way in the morning and thirty-five miles one way in the evening. I find it hard to ride eight miles one way in the morning in the evening, but. I've hey, been really struggling riding four miles, and my goal is to ride 150 the uh, Tour de Farms weekend. So figure, that, so you know, I've I've got a ways to go on that, but I'm sure I can do it. And uh, is that everything, or do we have more we need to bring up? I think that's all for uh, Addenda and Arata. So, do you think maybe perhaps we should talk about um, a couple of games? Perhaps. Well, since uh, you get to be hosting next episode. I'm going to let you choose the game. What do you want to talk about? The, I think what we'll do, let's let's start with Satan's Hollow, because the other game we're going to talk about, there's going to be a lot to talk about with that one. And, ah, uh, Satan's Hollow. Ah, Satan's Hollow. And in this game, which is kind of a weird scenario, <laughs> you're in a spaceship. <laughs> you said you're in. In hell. <laughs> you're in a spaceship in hell. And you're shooting down demons. And the object of the game is to build a bridge to get to Satan's Hollow, where you battle with Satan. <laughs> now, there are five different kinds of enemies in this game. You have the green demons, which look like green terret, which look like little pterodactyls. They're gargoyles. Yeah, you know what? That's right. That's what they are. They're gargoyles. And uh, they just throw bombs down at you. There are red gargoyles, which throw flaming eggs down at you. Yeah, those are egg like droppers. A... Yeah, the uh, the enemies are gargoyles, bombers, egg droppers, Beelzebub, Old Nick, and Lucifer. Wait, bombers, egg droppers, gargoyle... Wait, wait, wait. We'll go through those again. They're gargoyles. Gargoyles. Bombers. Bombers, which I'm assuming are the red ones. Egg droppers. Egg droppers. Okay. Beelzebub. Okay. Old Nick. Mm-hmm. And Lucifer. Beelzebub. I'm trying to figure who is who because there's that I've only counted five different enemies. All right, this is feedback bait if ever there was some. Uh, yeah, I think gargoyles and bombers are essentially the same enemies, except the gargoyles don't actually drop anything. No, because the the gargoyles, the green ones, all of those drop bombs down on you. Oh, really? Well, missiles, and then you've got the red ones, which drop the uh, the eggs, which when they hit the ground will explode in flame. Then you've got the uh, the guys that look like, they look like imps that throw rocks down, which destroy your bridge. Those might be bombers. When you get into Satan's Hollow, I'm assuming that one is Satan. And then on the main screen, uh, after so many rounds, you face the devil, which shoots a long flame down onto the, uh, onto the screen. Uh, the way that this game works is every time you shoot an enemy on the main screen, a piece of the bridge will appear on the left. So you've got to go all the way to the left, pick up the piece of bridge, take it all the way to the right, put it down, shoot more people. More people. Shoot more uh, more <laughs> demons or enemies or whatever you want to call them. And then as soon as that bridge is ready, you could go across the bridge. You're building the bridge over a, a lake of fire. Fire! 
Fire! Fire! Fire! <laughs> when you get across the lake of fire, you're going against Satan, which, truth be told, this is the object of the game, is to get to this guy, to build the bridge, to get to this guy, and the way that this this enemy looks is a bit of a letdown, I, would, I, I think. Uh, he just throws pitchforks down at you. Starting, I think, the second time you encounter him, there is a fireball that will circle around the screen to keep it from getting too easy, which he's kind of easy to destroy. When you shoot him, you kill him, it'll count up how many waves of enemies you destroyed before you crossed the bridge. I should say, every time you destroy all of the enemies on the main screen before you cross the bridge, you get a white flag. Uh, you get 10 white flags, and I think it's a yellow one. And then if you get 100, I think it's a red one, I believe. I have to double check that, which means, you know what that means? Mark your Pie Factory bingo card. <laughs> Actually, I think that's the free space. So then you build the bridge. Go over it. Go to the right. You kill Satan. And every... Kill Satan. <laughs> and when you kill Satan, it counts all of the flags you got. You get bonus points for every level on the left side of the bridge that you uh, completed. You also gain a fire power-up. I believe there's two power-ups that you can get for destroying Satan. The uh, The first one, you get just one extra shot. Your ship normally has two shots that can be on the screen at any time. You destroy Satan the first time, you get three shots. It, it attaches a little gun to the right side of your ship if you look closely. Then if you kill Satan again without being killed, then you get a, a gun on the left side of your ship as well. So what will happen then is you'll shoot one bullet and then two bullets, then one bullet and two bullets, which uh, those power-ups are needed because this is a hard game. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to take your word for it that you get those extra guns. Uh, it's easy to get the first one. It's it's easy to get the first one. Uh, well. After that, all bets are off. Uh, I did neglect to mention that there is a, a shield button on this game. You got a timer that counts 15. When you push the button, that timer goes down. Now, it, it's not 15 seconds. It's a 15 count. The shield goes down fast. And as long as there's a number in there, you can use it. But if it's all the way down to zero, you have to wait for that to regenerate. I don't think you have to wait for it to regenerate all the way. But truth be told, if you've only got two or three on your shield counter, you might as well not even have your shield. Because that's not going to save you from anything. So anyway, uh, there's Satan. And then every now and then, as I said, you'll have a level where it'll just be the face of the devil, which I thought the devil and Satan were the same thing. Figure that one out. Will, as I said before, shoot down a, uh, a beam of fire. And, um, you know, your object is to uh, kill him. Just shoot him. This game is... Satan! We, we normally don't talk too much about the cabinets, but I, we've, I think we've talked more about cabinets recently than we ever have in the history of the show. Yeah. And... Uh, this and the other game we're talking going to talk about tonight have both have extremely striking cabinets. The uh, the Satan's Hollow cabinet has some pretty kick-ass art. It's all a red theme. Duh, Satan. And um, I am a huge, huge fan of this game. Love this game to pieces. One thing I did neglect to mention is uh, when you start the game, you, you put your token in, you hit start, it gives you a rousing rendition of the Flight of the Valkyries. And... Um, that's about the only music in the game. The sound effects in the game are, uh, I think they're appropriate. I love the sound when you uh, pick up a piece of the bridge and then you drop it off. That's always uh, nice. But uh, yeah, this is not an easy game. This is a hard game. Um, Tuesday night, when I should have turned my computer off because of the impending storms, I uh, I was playing uh, Satan's Hollow for the better part of an hour, hour and a half maybe. Trist, I was always, I was in the, oh, come on, just one more game, one more game, one more game. And I did not have the cheats turned on at all. 
I was playing this legit. And um, I think my highest score is like 30, it was like 36,300 or something like that. Mm. I love this game. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. So what do you have to say about the game? Wow. Um, it's, um, it's, I, you know, I, I don't really know what to say about it because first of all, to me, I'm playing it and I'm like, you know what? This is basically Galaga with a few extra features. And yes, I said Galaga. I did not say Galaga. Yeah. After talking with a uh, certain person who used to work with Midway, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm calling it Galaga. Just but, call it whatever the hell we want. Yeah, but because um, it just reminded me of that, like how it was just a little bit too easy to die in this game. Just like Galaga to me. It's, I would disagree. I think it's a lot easier to die in this game than it is in Galaga. <laughs> and um, so I remember when we were Galloping Ghost last time, and we played this. And by the way, Galloping Ghost actually has a cabaret uh, Satan's yeah. Hollow cabinet. Yes, so they was, do. That was interesting. I actually like cabaret cabinets, believe it or not. As bland as they are, I like cabarets. This game, the full cab for this one is just freaking awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember playing it because I knew that we were going to be talking about this game, so I wanted to be prepared. I played it a couple of times. I'm like, you know what? This game sucks. I'm not playing it anymore. Whoa. So what happens? Well, as episode 27 is impending, and I'm like, you know what? I need to prepare some more and play some games. Mm -hmm. I loaded up Satan's Hollow, and once again, I'm like, oh, I hate this game. It sucks. Let me try again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this game sucks. But I think I do better this time. <laughs> yeah. Every time I die, I'm like, oh, you butt. <laughs> oh, you freaking, oh, you dang butt. That's, that's, my, uh, that's my, uh, my swear lately when I get killed in a video game is you butt. <laughs> yeah, I've been saying you butt to this game a lot. This is an addicting game. You're right. It's in the Galaga style. I mean, it's, I didn't it, say that. It's, well, I know what you said, but you said it wrong. Um, it's in that style of the game which but. shall not be named, but I think it's just got enough different to keep it original. Um, the whole building the bridge thing is just, I, I think that just adds a nice, uh, uh, different strategy to this thing. Oh, it does. The battle against Satan, it, when you get to Satan's Hollow, is anticlimactic, I will grant you, but, uh, you know, that's, as I said, seen as that's the object of the game and all, as a whole, this is a pretty good package. It's got excellent sound. The graphics are standard uh, Bally Midway for whatever kind of machine that they were using around that time. Uh, the sound is stereo, by the way. Stereo. I tend to favor games that have stereo sound. Yeah, well, you know what? It's hard not to, especially after playing Gyrus, which, honestly, I mean, when we talk about Galloping Ghost, I meant to talk about the parking. The only thing I really, really dislike about Galloping Ghost is that where the Gyrus machine is, uh, they say that they have it turned up all the way. I just can't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be that they have so many games in there that's so yeah. freaking yeah, noisy. Yeah, well, it's a small room it's in. It's in a small and side room. And they just opened the expansion, and I know oh, they moved a few... Oh, we forgot to mention few, that, yeah. And they moved a few existing games into the expansion, so there might be a little bit more room, a little bit more air, a little bit more air for sound to travel through, so maybe. Mm -hmm. And something else that I was thinking about Satan's Hollow when I was playing this was, this is a very... Atari 2600 style game. I could so see this kind of a game being on the 2600 easily. Which is weird because as far as I'm aware, this was only ever ported to two platforms. It was the Atari 8-bits and the Commodore 64. It was never ported to any other home console. It was listed as, uh, I believe Coleco had the, the home console rights to this. 
and it was supposed to come out on the ColecoVision and the Atari 2600, but it never did. Only the Atari 8-bit computer and the Commodore 64, and I'm not even sure that the Atari 8-bit was a real release. I want to think that was a prototype. Huh. I could be wrong on that. And uh, mark your free spot on the bingo card. It is on several like midway compilations, compilations of some of the newer right. consoles. The, on the newer consoles, but for the 80s, it wasn't on any of the home consoles. Just a couple of the 8-bit uh, computers, and that was it. This game is crying out to be ported to the, uh, the Atari 7800. And I think Bob DeCrescenzo has done one, another one of his retirements. Yeah, unfortunately, but there's still plenty of other people out there programming for the 7800, hint, hint, hint. And if I had any programming skills whatsoever, I might even take it up, but I don't, so I won't. But um, it's a game that's never been ported to any home consoles back then. Even Scramble, which is on the Atari 7800, a Bob DiCrescenzo game, was ported to at least the Vectrex. This wasn't ported to any console. And another reason that I say Satan's Hollow is kind of 2600-ish. Yeah. I don't know, maybe not so much 2600-ish, but very, very, very primitive home game is that especially when you actually cross the bridge and you're fighting Satan, it reminded me of one of those type-in programs you'd get in one of those Commodore 64 how-to-program books where you'd design your own sprite. Yeah, they, they, I, I could see that. Yeah, so that, that's kind of what I'm thinking there. Something worth saying about Satan's Hollow is that apparently, back in the Ferg, there was a big controversy over it because, you know, in the early 80s, everything was about morality and things. Uh, you the had satanic to panic, and, yes. Yep. Of course, what they don't realize is that uh, your goal is to destroy Satan. Well, that doesn't matter. There is a famous picture floating around out there, and I saw it on Saturday Night Live once way, way, way back in the old Ferg. Back when he was still new Ferg. <laughs> And I saw it uh, in a couple of magazines of Pope John Paul II playing Satan's Hollow. I am going to have to look that up. Uh, <laughs> a little looking up something on Google Music, Paul. <laughs> hey, John Paul, going to look in the Google. <laughs> going to Google himself, not Satan. <laughs> that is just one of the most kick-ass images I've ever seen in my life. What do you think? Are we ready to rate this one? I'll be honest with you, I'm not really sure if I am ready to rate it. If you were to ask me to rate this when I was playing it at Galloping Ghost, mm -hmm. I would have given it maybe a two, maybe. Uh-huh. Because it just annoyed the crap out of me. And then when I'm playing it at home on MAME, I keep thinking, okay, let me try again. This game sucks. Then let me try it again. Let me <laughs> and now that we're talking about it, I do want to go back and try it again. At this point, it gets at least a three from me. I might decide later on to change it to four. Mm -hmm. I have changed my ratings post-show before. <coughs> Dragon's Lair. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I'm rating this game a five. This, is, this game is one of my oh. favorites. I always go back to this one. And it just occurs to me, one thing we haven't been doing recently is actually talking about where we first played some of these games. Um, I did talk about where I first played this game. Well, I haven't. I first played this game at the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall, uh, Joliet, Illinois. And uh, I first saw it there, and I'm like, okay, I got to try this one. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a fun game. And even though I was a little religious at one point, I was never one of these, you know, uh, seeing the devil behind everything and everything's evil and, 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 and that. And I loved this game. This is probably one of my top ten 
games. And again, anybody listening who is like one of those kind of people, oh, it's the devil. Again, your goal is to defeat the devil here. But it doesn't matter because you still it's like they the should good still show down the devil on the machine. <gasps> bum bum bum. And uh, we haven't been mentioning also recently uh, if any of these games are on uh, the internet uh, archive. I was uh, just thinking that. And uh, this is one that you can play on the Internet Archive. Uh, you go to archive.org, just search for Satan's yeah. Hollow, and the game should uh, come right up for you. Yeah, um, and by the way, just want to talk about scoring here. Um, oh, yeah, we didn't score. touch on that, did we? Yeah. And the reason I knew the names of all these uh, uh, enemies is because they're, they're in my show prep here uh, and how many points they're worth. Gargoyles are 120 points. Egg droppers and bombers are 225 points. Beelzebub is 250 points. Old Nick is 500 points. Lucifer is 1,000 points. Now, answer me this. I went through Catholic school from first grade all the way through my senior year of college, and technically even a couple more years in that because when I was in grad school, I went to a Catholic grad school. I was raised Catholic. My Catholic upbringing tells me that Beelzebub, Old Nick, and Lucifer are pretty much the same thing. What is different about them in this game? Can you answer that, Mr. Five? I wouldn't tell you. So you mentioned the uh, bonus flags. You get a yes. thousand points mm-hmm. for every one of those, providing that you are able to build the bridge of fire and defeat Satan. Yes. You can. Only, you only get the bonus points for each flag if you defeat Satan. One thing I noticed with this game is if you build the bridge and you defeat everything on the screen, the game will not let you cross over to uh, Satan's Hollow until... Sorry, Jonathan Edward. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. I can see dead people. Anyway, it won't let you cross over to Satan's Hollow until one of the gargoyles places the flag on top of the castle at the right-hand portion of the screen. So uh, one strategy I like to do with this game, I build the bridge. Sometimes I will go for more, you know, more points, more flags when I go to face off against uh, Satan. But if it looks like that it's uh, coming up to a difficult screen, I will just go defeat Satan because that's easier than some of these screens. One other thing I forgot to mention about this game is if you are on the bridge and a part of it gets destroyed, it will let you cross over to the left over it, but it will not let you cross back to the right. That way you can at least go get another piece of the bridge to repair it. The bridge has to fully be there for you to cross into Satan's Hollow. Which brings this up. How many pieces of the bridge are there before it's complete? It depends on the level. It's only a a short bridge at the first level, but it gets to the point where I believe it takes up half the screen eventually. That's one complaint I have about this game. I I talked about how this reminds me of what a 2600 game would be like, Mm -hmm. partly because I wasn't really impressed with the graphics. They were very two-dimensional. It was very difficult to gauge how much of the bridge was actually built, because just out of nowhere, I suddenly started being able to go all the way to the right off the screen. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. It didn't look like there was a complete bridge. Yeah, I will grant you that. It seems like that you need like one more piece of bridge to complete it when it's actually done. But, um, you know, once you've played the game a few times, though, you you know, you, you pick this stuff up. As I said, this is one of my all-time favorite games. I'm giving this one a five. And I'm staying with three. By the way, there are two different main settings for this game. You can start with three bases with a bonus base at 10,000 points mm-hmm. for one credit or for two credits you can start with seven bases <gasps> Ooh. with an extra base at 10,000. I forgot that uh, some Midway games used to do that. Wizard of War used to do that and I believe uh. Robbie Roto did that where you could buy in with for more Sherp's ship Sherpas. 
<laughs> more ships. You can have a Sherpa in Satan's Hollow. Man, well, yes, that you can. So well, you got to climb the mountain up to the uh, up to the castle. You know, oh, and okay. I believe Gorf did that as well. Now that I think about it, and uh, that's a game we need to talk about too. So. Um, Wow, we keep thinking, finding more stuff to talk about after we rated it, which reminds me, we didn't talk about scores, did we? Which is what I'm going to talk about here. Uh, both Twin Galaxies and Orcade.com have tracks for each of those uh, base variations that I just mentioned. Uh, Orcade.com shows Ben Falls. I'm sure we've mentioned him several times. He's got a lot of records. Uh, he, on June 4th, 2011, scored 5,857,000 15 during the 13th annual classics championships at fun spot and arcade.com has a track for the seven base variation but no scores so far uh-huh so i know what i'm gonna be doing tell me about it later. i am going to do try to get my get a high score for the seven base track all right well you gotta see if uh i th- i th- is doc's machine set for that i don't know i don't think it is but uh Anyway, uh, at Twin Galaxies, for three bases, Donald Hayes, whom I'm sure we've mentioned before because he also has a bunch of records. Now, judging from your score, this is something I think you could achieve with very little effort. Verified November 17th, 2013, he scored 45,088,085 points. That's not far off from your score, is it? Yeah, I'm only uh, um, like 120% times behind him, so yeah. Sure. Yeah, wow. now this is what I find kind of weird. The seven base variation. Now, I know we've mentioned this guy before. Greg R. Secundiak, uh, verified February 27th, 2007. Un- with seven bases, only scored 55,560. I don't know if there's a typo in that or if that's really the only thing ever submitted for that variation or if that variation really is that much harder. It could be because this is a hard game to start with. It really is. It really is. And my score... I know once I got a bonus base, and then I pretty much lost all my lives after that. <laughs> the thing is, the thing to high scoring with this one, this one is ripe for point pressing. Uh, you just keep playing the main screen over and over and over, and then when you defeat Satan, you rack up all of those bonus points. Um, the only problem with that strategy is that you don't get your extra firepower uh, soon. And that's why my one score, 36,000 whatever, is so much higher than my second score, which is like 26,000, because I chose a different strategy. You could actually get further in the game if you don't try to defeat more levels before you face off against Satan, because, you know, you get the firepower. The firepower will take you further through the game, but again, be fair... This is not a hard, This is not an easy game, and I don't know how some people play this thing. Very carefully. <laughs> Very carefully. That's about the only way to play this game. And of course, it leaves the unanswered question, Satan's hollow what? What thing of Satan's is hollow, or do I want to know? Uh, is it his mailbox? Is it, uh, is it, his, is it his player piano that's hollow? I don't know. Uh, Satan's hollow what? I, he must have a tube, because tubes are hollow. A series of tubes! Uh, have we said all there needs to be said about Satan's hollow? Probably not. Probably not, but I think we're good for now. I and, think so. Um, as per usual, piefactory at fab4it.com. You know, feedback, bait, and all that. So, what say ye that we should talk about another game? Oh, oh, <laughs> oh what do I say? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about Tron. Tron? Yes, Tron. Notice I didn't say ah. Ah, Tron. Open up and say ah. Ah, Tron. 
guest, Tron, based on the 1982 Disney film of the same name. The film which... Full disclosure, I have not seen that movie. I saw it way, way, way back when, and I I fell in love with that movie. Uh, when Tron Legacy came out several years back, paid the price to take my family to see it in 3D, and a lot of people, when they saw Tron Legacy, were creeped out with uh, Jeff Daniels, the... Uh, the dude? The, uh, the digital editing they did to make him look younger in certain scenes. I wasn't creeped out about that so much, but... And I didn't think it was a horrible movie, but it did play with some stuff with the the Tron mythos, if you will, that I didn't care for, but I still think thought it was an enjoyable movie. It had some excitement, but uh and some very hot women in very hot costumes, I might add. But that's Tron Legacy. We're talking about Tron. Yes, Tron. So you play as Tron and the um the object of the game is you have to go through four contests. They're basically like four mini games, kinda like uh what the uh, the game Journey was. With the exception that these mini-games are a lot, lot better. The first one is kind of like Breakout. It's the MCP cone. And uh, what you do is uh, there's a bunch of blocks swirling around the top of the cone. you got to destroy as many as you can. So you yeah, can I wouldn't pass. say it's like Breakout because you don't have to catch it coming back or anything. Well, it's similar. It's got a similar feel because you're breaking blocks. You're breaking out. So, it, yeah, it's a way of breaking out, I guess. But So the object is to, to break enough to where you can get into the cone... You get to the cone, you get a thousand. I believe it's a thousand bonus points. Some levels, it's uh, they uh, they start with like just three layers of blocks, and then I believe on the second time through, it's four blocks, and then every time out after that, it's five blocks. I believe that's controlled by the dip switch settings. And after a while, they will go faster, and then they will go in reverse directions from previous levels. I'll have to take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, there is a bug on this level where if you're in the play area, if you push your joystick to the left or the right up against the edge of the play area, you can move the whole play area to the left or to the right on the screen. So uh, that's uh, that's an interesting bug that I'm kind of curious as to why they left that in, but uh, there you are. Possibly It's an undocumented feature. An undocumented feature. Another screen that they have on there, and arguably the hardest one, is uh, the tanks. Oh! I hate that one. Each tank that you have to destroy in this one is you have to... Oh, one thing I should should mention before I go further, uh, and this is important with all of the games with the exception of one, is that the controls, you have a joystick with a trigger and you have a rotary dial. And the dial will control the position of your arm on the, um, the MCP cone screen, which we just talked about. It controls your arm on the grid bug screen, which we will talk about in a moment, and it controls the turret on your tank and the tank screen, which we're talking about now. Past, present, and future. Wow. So you got to destroy all the tanks. The first time through, there's only one tank, three shots, kill them. Uh, but then there's three tanks and then five tanks. Eventually down the line, you fight the recognizers uh, from the movie. The recognizers were the badass uh, ship that kind of looked like they had legs and they would like kind of turn in and then just stomp on you to kill you which uh, in the movie was pretty awesome. They're kind of lame in this one, but I've only seen it through playthroughs because I can't get that far. This is, again, a hard game. So that is the tank screen. You have a, on the tank screen, there in the middle of it, there's like this pink diamond looking thing. Uh, if you go into that, it's a, it's a teleporter and it'll teleport you to somewhere else on the screen, but it teleports you somewhere at random and you're actually in a maze. The maze never changes. It'll teleport you somewhere at random, and it could teleport you right on top of an enemy tank or right in the path of a bullet when they fire. And if you do that, you're, you're gone. As I said, you have to hit each tank three times. They only have to hit you once, but you have rapid fire 
Uh, you can get off th multiple shots at a time. They can only shoot once. Your shots bank against the walls. Theirs don't. You can make use of the transporter. And the strategy for the first level is to pos position your tank half into the transporter and just shoot at it straight down through the transporter. And they only shoot you if your tank is over the uh, halfway point in any corridor in the maze. They can still ram into you. Those are different strategies that you can use for that. And speaking of which, I don't know if this is kind of what you're getting at, but various sources that I've read had talked about this white line in the tank screen, where if your player's tank is not touching that white line, the enemy fire is not going to hit. It's not going to, it's basically invincible to enemy fire. There is a line. I, in where the is the middle. line? I've, I, I looked for it. There is a line in the middle of every pathway in the maze, but it's not white. It's a blue line. And that's, that's what, what used, I thought. That's what it uses to track you. I'm wondering if that's what you're probably talking about. That's, that's probably what it is. But then again, it doesn't appear that it's even possible to not be on that line. Mm-hmm. Well, you can. Uh, May, you, you, unless you can. maybe it's in later levels that there really is a white line, a white line. White and wine. we're just not that good. At, we're just not that good at the game, so we never see it. some light wine. So that's pretty much, in a nutshell, the, uh, the tank wave. The grid bug wave is interesting because... All of these mini-games are based on the movie. The grid bug screen is only giving a passing reference in the film, and they pose no threat at all in the movie. There was a scene where they get on the solar sailor, and they're like, well, you got to watch out for the grid bugs, then they show a grid bug, and that's it. You don't hear of them ever again in the film. And literally, when I just described it just now, that's almost as long as their whole scene in the movie takes. <laughs> Uh, but the thing with this one is you have to get into the quote-unquote I.O. tower in the middle of the screen. Uh, you have a certain amount of time to do it. If you do it, get bonus points. Uh, just shoot them. They have different patterns. This is arguably the easiest sequence in the game. I agree. And quite honestly, it's the least entertaining of all of the uh, games in this game, as it were. All of, It's the least entertaining of all the sections in this game, as it were. Eventually, at some point, a solar sailor will come out. I don't know. I've, I think I've seen it like once. I think I've gotten up to the third level in this game one time. And I think I saw it crop out then, and it will drop something. And if uh, you pick it up, you get some big bonus points. And apparently, and I have never been able to do this, if you can destroy all of the grid bugs on the grid bug screen, you get a thousand bonus points. I have seen videos of this happening. I have tried to do it. I cannot do it. And. I almost sometimes wonder if it is even possible because I've never been able to do it because of the rate that the grid bugs reproduce. While you're trying to get to the I.O. tower and you shoot them, they will flip over and then they will split and they'll flip over and split again. Not that fast, but just enough to where it's kind of a pointless endeavor to try to destroy them all. But apparently it can be done. I've never done it. I've never seen anybody do it personally. But I have seen YouTube video of someone doing it, so apparently it can be done. I'm just leaving it at that. You get a bonus for clearing everything in the MCP screen, too. Yes, you do. Uh, a thousand points. And, Which I uh, found out when I asked, when I was watching someone play this game once. I was like, dude, you got a clear path. Just go in. He's like, no, I want to clear everything so I can get a bonus. Yeah, it's uh, on the MCP cone screen, it is easy to get that bonus on the first two screens. Yeah, after a little bit of practice. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Starting on the third screen, forget it. You just try to get up to the cone. There's just no way, because the stuff starts moving way too fast. Uh, and finally, the piece of acid de resistance is the Light Cycles screen, which is the screen everybody's been wanting to play, or wanting us to talk about. Basically, you're piloting the Light Cycle, and the object of the game is to make the other Light Cycle run into your Light Trace or the walls on the side of the playfield, 
And, uh, you know, that's when you win. You start out going up against one light cycle. Then, depending on the dip switch settings, on the next one you go to two, and then you go to three light cycles. The first light cycle is pretty easy to get around. You can just draw a box around him and he'll destroy. And then, after that, the trick is to box yourself in. Now, on this screen... You don't use the dial at all. It's the only game that you don't use the dial. The trigger acts as a speed control. On the first one, you hit the trigger so that you go faster around it, box them in, boom, done. Starting afterwards, you hit the trigger until you meet up with one of the cycles, immediately make a 90-degree turn, and then as soon as you box yourself in, then you go slow, and eventually all of the other light cycles will run into their own light traces or yours or whatever. And uh, it might get close sometimes, but the boxing-in trick has really always worked for me. Um, I would say, honestly, since I learned the boxing-in trick, the light cycles are probably the second easiest screen for me. As far as the order of these games go, you're probably wondering, Jim, what order do these games come up in? Yeah, what order do they come up in? Well, I'm glad you asked that, because we don't know. <laughs> At the beginning of each level, and each level is actually named after a different programming language... Actually, not technically true, because I think one of us is named after an operating system, now that I think about it. But um, at the beginning of each level, you can select four sections. There are four sections of the screen with a timer in the middle. You have eight seconds to select a game. The problem is it doesn't show you which game. The level selection screen is kind of pointless, because you don't know what game you're going to get until you select the game. No matter which one you select, you have a one in four chance, uh, the first time, a one in four chance of getting any one of the games and... So on and so forth. So I always thought that was kind of lame to not allow you to select, actually select which game you want to do first. I mean, you can select, but as I said, it's random. So I, I never got that. Interesting trivia about this game. Uh, they were originally supposed to have the uh, the Tron disc fighting game, the Tron Deadly Discs game as part of this one, but uh, they either ran out of time or memory or something, so it wasn't included in this, but they did spin it off into a sequel, the Discs of Tron game, which is an excellent, excellent game in its own right, and especially if you have the environmental cabinet, and that's, again, a game we should talk about because that's got some very interesting controls. Just like Satan's Hollow, this game's got an extremely striking cabinet uh, in its own right. Big uh, lots time. of lights, lots of neon colors, and it's... It's UV light. Yes. And I've been to arcades in the past where they've had the Tron machine next to the Satan's Hollow machine. That is a visual feast. <laughs> Both of these machines are strikingly different, but yet they seem to complement each other in the looks of the cabinet. As you're probably aware, if you've saw the movie, seen, if you've saw, seen, seen, saw. Hey, sir. That is to say, I seen her. If you have watched the movie Tron, the color scheme is black and blue with the you know, other little pastel colors thrown in. But for the most part, black and blue. And the cabinet reflects that. Not literally. Uh, Discs of Tron reflects, but not Tron. And, um, yeah, that is, in a nutshell, Tron. End of line. <laughs> uh, what have ye to say? Wow. Uh, yeah, I just can't help but constantly go back to thinking what this is probably the most striking arcade cabinet I've ever seen. It's certainly, if not the most, certainly one of them. I think you could make the argument that it is. Uh, the only other cabinet I would say that is almost as striking, but striking in a different way would be Tapper. And this game reminds me so much of Journey, and Journey reminds me so much of this game simply because of all the... Uh, the well, mini-games mini, in yeah, it. They're both, and I think, uh, mini and they're, games. they're made by the same company. 
that they are. So there might be that uh, little connection there too that helps things a little bit. But everything about this cabinet is just amazing. It's got the the glowing trigger stick. It's got the UV light, which... Right next to the trigger stick, which makes the trigger stick glow even you know it does it, there's no yeah. light in the trigger stick but because the uv lights behind it with its own thing it makes the trigger stick glow oh and by the way if you've ever seen the movie tron the arcade cabinet has the same control as it does in the uh, in the movie uh, in the movie uh, flynn created a video game called the plot of the movie is a programmer named flynn created a video game called Space Paranoids, and NCOM stole the uh, code for the game, and Jeff Bridges' character wants it back. So he sneaks in to uh, NCOM with uh, with his friends Bruce Boxleitner and uh, I can't remember the name of the, uh, the woman, and uh, the Master Control Program sees that he's trying to break in, and due to uh, the fact that uh, he had to break into the computer in the laser lab at NCOM, the master control program uses lasers to <laughs> zap Flynn into the world of the computer. And that's where all of the, uh, the, the mini games take place. So, you know, he's sent into there and he has to go through all of these trials. There's more in the movie that he has to go through. That isn't in the arcade game, but um, the game space paranoids in the movie, the joystick in that one looks like the joystick for the arcade game. And in fact, Mattel Electronics had the rights to do home versions of Tron games, but not the arcade game. They had the movie rights to do original games. And on the Atari 2600, I don't remember which Tron game on the 2600 had it, but uh, Mattel had an offer of a joystick that looked like the arcade joystick from the arcade game Tron as an incentive to purchase their game. And I've always wanted one of those because they look just so freaking awesome. Uh, let's see, it's distributed in standard upright in a mini and a cocktail. Check this out. There is a guy I used to go to high school with who sadly passed away a few years ago. He lived a few miles west of where I live currently. I didn't realize it was him, but he was uh, having a garage sale selling off a lot of stuff. In retrospect, it was because of his medical bills because he was battling cancer, unfortunately. And he was one of the few people in the country that actually had the Tron cocktail cabinet. Oh, wow. And the rumor has it that only seven of them were made. That's just the rumor. I could not tell you what the exact number was, but that is the rumor. And because of the way that cocktail cabinets are, you can't have the full joystick with the trigger on it. It had a bizarre thing where it was just a standard joystick with a ball knob on it with a little switch on the ball knob on the top of it that you would keep clicking to fire. And I just thought it was the weirdest thing. And he wanted, I don't know, like 1500 for it. And if I had the money, I would have picked that up in a heartbeat because it's just so dang rare to see one of the cocktails. And I saw one of the Tron cocktail cabinets. I don't know what what happened to it now because if they still had it, then I'm sure uh, Doc Mac would like to probably snatch that up. Oh, yeah. Because it's, uh, the Tron cocktail is a rarity in the arcade world. The whole UV thing. I was like, whoa. Every time I play the game, I, I'm. it's like, whoa, look at this. Even though I see it every freaking time. Especially because I wear tie-dye a lot. And it really does quite a job on tie-dye. Yeah, I've seen you play in this wearing one of your tie-dye shirts. And it's quite weird <laughs> and the stereo sound again too i mean just everything about the game is just 
And I've never even seen Tron. I have no idea what's going on. All I know is how to play it, you know? Well, first of all, you should see it just because it's a video game movie. You know what I'll do? I'll do what I did, what I think I did at least for both Terminator 2 Judgment Day and Fix-It Felix Jr. I'm going to watch the corresponding movies right after we record. Corresponding shows. You know what? I I wonder if um, Scott at Underground Retrocade has the movie. I'm pretty sure he probably does. Oh, you know what? I would... I would be dead surprised if he didn't. Yeah, this is pretty much required viewing for anybody uh, that was around for the heyday of the arcade in the early to mid 80s. Hey! Hey! (laughs) Hey! Hi, 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 Raj. And uh, last time I was at Underground Retrocade, I got some video footage of myself playing it, so I'll be happy to uh, upload that to our YouTube channel. One thing with Tron... Just one? Well, one thing with it, because it doesn't emulate very well because of the fact that right. it has the dial. Your best bet if you're going to play this in MAME is to get a controller, like a wired Xbox controller that has the shoulder buttons and map the dial to the shoulder buttons. Uh, I find that works rather well. Believe it or not, the Tron arcade game was only ever ported to one pseudo-classic console. And that is the Game Boy Advance. Ah. There was, uh, they came out with... Tr- you know, I think there's a Game Boy Advance adapter for the Retro Duo Portable. I might have to get one of those. It might be. There was a Game Boy Advance adapter for the GameCube. And so, because of that, the GameCube is the only home console. But the uh, Game Boy Advance, there was a Game Boy Advance add-on for the GameCube attached to the bottom of the GameCube. I loved the GameCube. That was that was such a neat-looking system, I thought. And speaking of mapping your controllers, uh, Greg from uh, AKA uh, Soulblazer from the from the SNES podcast said that uh, you know, Tron's one of his all-time favorite arcade games, and he plays the Xbox Live version on his Xbox 360 a lot. He says you can really do a good mapping of the controls to uh, get a decent approximation mm-hmm. of the arcade game controls. He says it's not perfect, but it's good. But as I was saying, um, the only console, the only home console that you could consider classic remotely was the Game Boy Advance it was on. It was part of the Tron 2.0 killer app game, which was kind of a kind of an adventure ex- exploration game, which was uh, actually quite a fun game. Uh, it had both arcade games Tron and Discs of Tron on it. Oh, wow. And unlike other games of the era where you had to achieve special things to unlock it, these were not unlockables. They were available from the very first time you plugged that sucker into your Game Boy Advance and turned it on. I know that we're going to be talking about this on a different show, but just one thing I got to know about Discs of Tron. Uh-huh. Now, we know that the arcade game Tron, it just you're just not going to find it on a, on any of the contemporary home consoles, like the 2600, the ColecoVision, whatever. We know that Mattel put out a lot of different Tron games for different systems. Now, right. the Atari 2600 had Tron Deadly Discs. Is that any relation to Discs of Tron, or is that just a coincidental, almost similar title? It's based on the same sequences in the movie, but the gameplay is totally different. Okay. It's more like Kamavid's Room of Doom on the 2600. Well, maybe it's not quite like that, but it plays more like that than it does uh, actual Discs of Tron in the arcade. <laughs> You want to talk about games that can't be emulated because of the controls. Discs of Tron is one of them. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember and, uh, somebody we, was telling us about that, how you just can't emulate it. Um, I don't remember who, though. It's, hmm. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was I, like I, uh, George... Like uh, George, George Stephanopoulos. Steph- George Stephanopoulos. Yes, yes. Yeah. Or was it Snuffleupagus? It might have been Snuffleupagus. Let's talk about how you can score points in this game, shall we? 
All right, we already talked about how you get a thousand point bonus for destroying every grid bug, but uh, the grid bugs are 50 points each. Bit will give you 5,000 points. In the movie Bit, it was kind of like a companion to, uh, to Tron or actually Flynn, and it could only answer questions by saying yes or no. It was kind of like R2-D2 to his C-3PO. And that's the thing that the Solar Sailor drops. If you enter the I.O. Tower, you get points based on whatever's remaining on your timer. Uh, the MCP cone block gives you 25 cents, and if you just 25 points, actually. And if you destroy every MCP cone block, you get a thousand point bonus. Uh, light cycles are a thousand points for each one you destroy. Now, uh, did you mention how many times you have to hit a tank before it's destroyed? Three. Three. You get 100 for the first, 300 for the second, and 500 for the third. So I did not know that. 900 points for destroying a tank, essentially. Oh, and you know what? This would be a perfect game for the Atari 7800. What you do, you have a joystick in one port and the Atari driving 2600 driving controller in the other. Exactly. You know, it's funny you mention that because I was just thinking the other day, thinking back to the game Omega Race when it came out on the Atari 2600. I have never I played was... any version of Omega Race, ever. It's I okay. want to. It's okay. We can talk about that in the, in the future. But on the Atari 2600... CBS Electronics came out with a booster grip, which plugged, I think, plugged into the other controller port, which added two buttons to the Atari 2600 controller. And I was wondering what other games could have benefited from this thing. And of course, obviously, 2600 Stargate, because it was a two-controller game. And um, thinking about it, Tron would be just ripe for using that controller, because you could use that to rotate the arm. And um, yeah, this would be a great game to see on the 7800 as well. Um, there's a lot of games I would love to see yeah. that, that were never ported to any uh, other system. Oh, there's an Omega Race port being worked on. So. Yeah, I, I, I have heard that. I don't know if anything's ever going to come of it. But anyway, yeah. let's get back to yeah. Tron. Anyway. Um, how high have you scored on Tron? Do you know? I, You know what? I've never paid attention to my scoring on Tron. I, it's one of those games where I just want to get see how far I can get into the game. I just don't care about my score on Tron, to be honest with you. I just want to see how far I got. And the furthest I've ever gotten is the third level. The third level, things start off at a nice pace. The second level is more complicated, but you can still, you can, you'll can you have your problems, but you'll get through it. The third level for me is just forget it. I don't know if I ever made it to the third level. I've definitely made it to the second level. Um, I never really paid attention to my score until the, my most recent trip to Underground Retrocade, which was February 27th. And I used a baseline score of 15,663 to be uh, adjudicated for Orcade.com. The uh, standard dip switch settings, by the way, for Tron are three lives with your first extra life at 10,000 points and difficulty level five. So that's interesting. There are multiple difficulty levels here. And for the world record for Orcade.com was set by David Cruz, David Cruz, and that was performed during the third annual Richie Knuckles Invitational on July 31st, 2011. And he scored just a tiny bit more than I did. He got 14,007,645. So I'm, wow. I'm on my way. I'm, hey, I'm on my way. Start somewhere. Yeah. And Twin Galaxies agrees with that completely and they verified it. So, and, okay. And this is exactly what I was talking about before, how like it takes time for, to get verified in Twin Galaxies. Twin Galaxies didn't verify it till the end of September, so it took them almost two months. This time now, they have user adjudication, so it speeds up the process a little bit. Now, Twin Galaxies also lists a track for a speed run of a million, basically who can get to a million the fastest, but they don't have any scores listed. 
And something I found very fascinating, there's yet another track on Twin Galaxies listed, uh-huh. and it doesn't have any scores attached to it, but it gives special instructions. And here they are, and I quote, Enter maintenance mode, toggle switch inside coin door. Select machine setup, press trigger, select bases. Press player one button until nine base appears. Select exit. Press trigger. Toggle switch inside coin door to exit maintenance mode. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I don't know what in the bloody stump is going on there. I think the most interesting thing about Tron, and there's a lot of interesting things about this game, is that the video game, the arcade video game, actually made more money than the movie. (laughs) The movie made $33 million in North America, which Disney basically said, yeah, that's a disappointing movie. The book, The Naked Computer, reports that the Tron arcade game made $45 million by 1983. Wow. 10,000 cabinets were sold and uh, $30 million of revenue. But uh, the game made $45 million. The movie made <laughs> $33 million. Well, one thing you got to remember is that that was during a time when Disney movies just didn't really do that well because people no, that they did not because the disney people were still kind of afraid to really do anything big after walt disney died they were still hurting from that that's kind of a shame because disney had a few uh, few what i considered really really good movies uh, in that era the only one the one that comes to mind was uh, their very first pg rated film the black hole which is one of the most beautiful movies you will ever see in your life. The special effects are amazing, and the uh, the evil spaceship in that one, the Cygnus, is pretty damn badass, uh, to be quite huh. frank. And um, I'm, I'm still... They had a series of movies that didn't really do all that well. I think Bedknobs and Broomsticks what didn't do all mm-hmm. that well. Uh, Pete's Dragon didn't do all that well. Um, the Black Cauldron. Was something wicked this way comes around then? Um, It was early 80s, I think. I want to think it might have been. Of course, the question is, was that a, a Disney movie? I don't think it was think a it Disney was. movie, no. You don't think so? I, I don't think it was. A, I'll let you know what. I could be confusing that with some, with uh, bed knobs and broomsticks or something else. I think until Epcot Center happened, Disney just couldn't put out a successful product to save their lives because they were pretty much afraid to. Yeah. They didn't want to change you know, anything without stuff. Disney's blessing, you know? They, they came out with the Black Hole as a PG-rated film. Disney himself never wanted to do anything PG-rated. Eventually, Disney comes out with, uh, what was it, uh, Hollywood Pic... No, uh, not Hollywood. It was uh, Touchstone Pictures, and they put out the R-rated film uh, Ruthless People, which I've not seen in a long time, but oh man, is that a hilarious movie. And they've done controversial stuff ever since then, and uh, they turned into this big media powerhouse since, uh, who is it, uh, Michael Eisner took over the company that's uh that's a lesson on how to bring a a company back from the brink yeah really but uh i wouldn't say that they were hurting necessarily but uh, they weren't as iconic as they are now they're iconic then they weren't and then they're iconic again at any rate i think that's all i have to say about tron uh do you have anything you would like to add no um so what do ye have to say about this what will ye rate this game you know what? I cannot rate this lower than a five continues. Really? Yeah. A five. I was actually expecting you to rate it a little lower. Why? Uh, to be perfectly honest, I don't know. It was just a feeling I had. I, it was just a feeling, oh, no, wait a minute. That's a lump on my arm. And the thing is, though, it's the gameplay is really good. 
It's challenging, but not too challenging that you don't want to play again. The graphics are really nice to look at. The cabinet is amazing. The sound is really good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's definitely amazing. There's nothing not to love about this game. And I haven't even seen the movie. You know what? I'm going to rate this game a four. Really? Yeah. Uh, Just for the main reason that, hmm, thinking about it, and... Well, you know what? One thing we forgot to mention are the name of the levels because they were oh, named yes. after programming languages like Basic and Cobol. Yeah, and it's RPG OS. Cobol, Basic, Fortran, Snowball, which, as far as I know, has no relation to Cobol. Uh, there's PL1, Pascal, Algol, Assembly, OS, which isn't really a language, JCL, and User, which also isn't really a language, as far as I know. Yeah, but in the movie. The, the movie Tron is actually a, a Christ allegory, if you've watched it, because Flynn in the movie is sent from another world, and he's saving the computer world. He's bringing peace and whatever back to it. The bad guys don't believe in the users, and that whenever, uh, whenever something goes wrong, they, they, uh, they yell, Oh, my user! So users are God. Oh. Tron. oh yeah, and and uh, Flynn also brings dead programs back to life. When I saw that, I don't know, twenty years ago, uh, that thought had occurred to me. I'm like, wow, this is a this is a retelling of the New Testament. So there you go. Yeah, now that I've said that, you will never be able to watch that movie in the same way again. Well, that's good for me because I've any way I watch it, it won't be the same way. Yeah, but I didn't give my rating. I originally said four, but I'm thinking about it. I really, I, I, what could make you give it a five? 20 bucks. Okay. So, uh, so you could, uh, give 20 bucks to, uh, patreon.com slash pie factory podcast and, uh, and Jimmy G will five. give it a five continues. No. Um, cause, cause I'm thinking about it and, and honestly, I'm not wanting to rate it a five for no real reason because I'm thinking about it and I, I can't, I can't, I can't. You know, I have to rate it a five. I think, <laughs> honestly, I think I had, I think I like Satan's Hollow better, but uh, they're both fives in my book. You know what? It, the cabinet puts it over the top. There you go. The cabinet puts it over the top because it's one of the most striking cabinets you'll see in the arcade, and you really got to look at the side art on this thing too, because this has got some really awesome side art from taken directly from the movie. So yeah, you know what? I'm rating it a five. All this talk we've been doing, I really can't wait to get back to Underground Retro. I'm really looking forward to Saturday so I can play this thing again. Well, in a few weeks, we're going to be going up there, you and me, for uh, a private function. Yeah, and and in about um, not quite seven months, I'll be going there for a public function, and I just want to uh, extend an invitation in uh, on October. What the heck date is it? Let's see, October 8th of this year. Um, I'm planning to celebrate my 42nd birthday, as I call it, Nerd's Day, N-E-R-D-T-H-D-A-Y, <laughs> and Underground Retrocade. What do I got planned? Well, just playing video games, really. So I uh, hope to see everybody out and there. And when he um, says everybody, he means all 7 billion people on the planet. That's absolutely right. They got more room to fit 7 billion people than, say, Galloping Ghost. Speaking of yes. which, that also coincides with Galloping Ghost's next T20 tournament, which happens yeah, around that. those those days. So, so we we might need to do a kind of like a, a video game caravan. We'll look into that. Thing is, I've had this thing planned for two years, That's so true. I'm not you changing have. it. You have no been way. 
nobody people listening don't realize that when he says he's had this plan for two years he is telling the truth so at the very least you'll know the uh the answer to the great question of life the universe and everything exactly so we just got to find the question now with that i think we should tell what the theme was today oh yes we should shouldn't we yes both of these games have translucent joysticks with a trigger the Satan's Hollow one is a beautiful red joystick, and the Tron one is an elegant blue joystick, both with triggers. They are translucent, and especially the Tron one with that ultraviolet light or whatever they call it, whatever we call yeah. it, the black light uh, on the machine, uh, really is something else to behold. And they're both made by Bally Midway. And they're both made by, made by Bally Midway, but that would be an easy theme, wouldn't, wouldn't it? Well, it just adds to the theme, so... Yes, I guess so. So I think at that point, we should probably uh, tell everybody, tell, tell everybody what uh, games we're going to talk about next time are. And the yeah, go right ahead. We did, not, we did not discuss this before we started recording. So let's pull up that list. So next time on Pie Factory Podcast, what games shall we talk about? You know what? Uh, we've done... All the Donkey Kong games so far, and Mario Brothers, and there's one major Nintendo game that we're leaving out, so I want to talk about that next. Let's talk about Popeye. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about Radar Scope. No, 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 no. Maybe next okay. time. But, you know, we should pair it up with another game, though. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, well, you know, this list here, I, there's a bunch of letters here. TMNT. What does that stand for? They might be giants. They might not be giants. <gasps> they might not be tickled. Uh, let's they might see. Not yes, yes. Why don't we just wait and let people try to figure out what TMNT stands no, for? No, 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 because I'm one. trying to figure it out. Let's see, acronymfinder.com. Oh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Don't. Exactly. So next episode, yeah, I think everybody's pretty much guessed the theme by now, but we're going to talk about Popeye and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And in the meantime, we're going to see if maybe there's an additional theme that we could pair up with them. Ah, ah. See what I did there? Yeah. So, by the way, uh, there's still an open invitation to all listeners to uh, contribute your memories of your favorite arcades or your not so favorite arcades. And uh, you can send us an audio file if you want. You can send it to us textly. And uh, at the end of the show, you'll hear all the possible ways you can contact us. Or if you just want to contact us in general. So, um, Anyway, why don't we uh, say bye-bye to our listeners. Um, this is, um, I, I guess I could be Shawnee C. And I know I'm Jimmy G. And we'll see you in, oh, I say see ya. Ugh. Unless you got uh, spy cameras all around here, I mean, you're not going to see me. Trust me, with what I'm wearing, it might be pretty shocking. But we will talk to you all in two weeks. How's that sound? Sure, that sounds fine. Sure. Awesome. Bye-bye, everybody. Good luck, Mr. Gorski. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via the Facebook page, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or the show notes page on piefactorypodcast.com. Oh, interesting thing happened to me. Um, I had been 
taking a songwriting class at the Old Town School of Folk Music here in uh, Chicago. Because, you know, music is my first love, believe it or not. It's not video games. And uh, I write tunes now and then. And, you know, these songwriting courses I take, they basically give you, like, ideas and springboards and stuff. Yo. We'd go in and we'd have a, we'd write one song every week. And one of the students in the course, who actually is also a teacher over at the Old Town School, he just moved into a new apartment. And the way he has his apartment laid out is that his living room is basically a small performing venue. And so to basically break it in, he had all of us from the class come over to his apartment and Mm -hmm. perform our songs for a small audience. He emailed all of us ahead of time and he said, hey, I want to introduce all of you. So I want you to share with me some uh, info about you that I should say, like where you grew up, if you have any relevant websites. So, of course, my relevant website was Mm piefactorypodcast.com. When he was introducing me, he said, okay, and here comes Sean, and uh, he co-hosts a podcast called pie factory podcast and it's all about old it's it's all about classic video games now i went to their website and i browsed through it a little bit and i saw that they talked about elevator action which was one of my favorite games and i still can't wait to hear that episode so yay <laughs> new listener if you're listening yay. out there hey jay hey jay Snuffle let's see if it. we can drop more names and uh, i think okay the next episode we do we should see if we can beat our record in name dropping because we dropped a lot of names last episode well you know i was just talking to william mckinley about that same thing Wow, really? I was telling William McKinley, you know what? We just drop a lot of names. What do you think Tom Petty would have to say about that? Well, last time I talked about it, he put me in a uh, three-way phone conversation with Nikola Tesla about it. They're pretty much in copaceticism with us. Well, all I know is that Jesus and Thomas Edison were not happy about the whole situation. Yeah, Jesus Edison is not really that kind of a, yeah. Yeah, people don't know that Thomas Edison has a brother named Jesus. But anyway... Yeah, we'll talk about King Arthur later. Could be worse. Rampage World Tour, like the second city you go to is uh, Kankakee, Illinois, and I lived there for way too long. Yeah, I have a brother who's buried there, and if I I ever get rich, I'm going to have him move somewhere else. Well, let's be fair. If any of us get rich, I think we'll be moving out of Illinois anyway. Well, maybe not you. I would. I don't live in Illinois. I live in Chicago. Oh, yeah, that's right. Take it from me. It's a different state. Yes, it is altogether. And I could get into a whole... I'm not going to. But maybe I will get into a hole. Hmm. No, we're not talking about E.T. Oh, yes. Okay. E.T. isn't holy. It's the pits. Zingy, as Steve Toohey would say. That's my uh, my swear lately when I get killed in a video game is you butt. But 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 but